I'm going to pray for us and ask that God would help us now. Heavenly Father, thank you for the things that we have seen and heard and sung of. Help us now, Father, by your Holy Spirit to understand afresh what you would say to each one of us. Change our lives, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's great to have this opportunity to open God's Word today, and we're going to feed on all those things. The beautiful uh, soliloquies we've seen, the songs we've sung, we're going to try and bring them together. We're going to do that thinking about Jesus as a friend to sinners. And at the end of the service, at the end of my time speaking now, I'm going to ask you to consider afresh who Jesus is. So have a look up on the screen. What do you see? White, good. That's a good answer. Uh, did, did you see anything else? No, there's, there's, don't worry. Don't, don't stress yourselves out too much. It's not polar bears in a snowstorm or anything like that. It's, it's white. But, but what about uh, if I put this up? Did, does anyone know what this is? It's an ink blot, yeah. It's actually part of a, a test credited, discredited in a whole variety of different ways. Uh, it's called the Rorschach test. And basically, it's a set of 10 images that get shown to people, and they go, what do you see? And so I did this with my kids this morning just for fun. And so I don't know what you see up there, but there isn't actually anything there. The idea is for you to look at it and tell us what you see. And when you see something, you're telling us something about yourself. That's the theory of how the test works. I want to suggest to you this morning that God is one of these tests. That when you look at God and you say something to me, more often than not, you're saying something about yourself more than about him. And so when you look at God, what do you see this morning? When you think about God, what do you think? Is God for you asleep? Maybe someone's getting a sleep in on Good Friday. Hey? It's not you guys, but maybe God is, and, and maybe he's asleep at the wheel. Or, or maybe, maybe God's absent. He, he's not asleep, but he's not present, and he's not really involved in my life. The mail's piling up in his letterbox. He's away from home. Or, or maybe God is angry with you, and you feel under his disfavour. You feel under the pump. You feel like God doesn't care for you. I'll be another group of people here today, a group of people who believe in this freedom idea we've been talking about, that believe that Jesus is alive. And today, I want to be so bold as to try and persuade you to change your opinion of who Jesus is. In order to do that, let's start with what we know about Easter. I had an interesting uh, little excursion this week. I went to Parramatta. I haven't been to Parramatta for ages. I was wandering through Parramatta. And uh, as I did so, I looked up at these banners that were in the city, all the way around the place, apparently put up by the council. Who would have known? And they say, celebrate Easter, even though they're backwards. Don't worry, I didn't flip the photo. They're only printed on one side. That was the anyway, you, you got me. They're banners, right? Celebrate Easter. Now, you can see what's on the one closest to us, can't you? Celebrate Easter. What's Easter all about? Easter Bunny, of course, and you'll find that in the Bible. So just look it up. <laughs> what really blew me away? I expect the council to tell me that Easter's about the Easter Bunny, even though it's a lie. There is no Easter Bunny. 
You get, you get the idea. That's not true, but have a look at the one behind it. Can you see what's on the flag behind it? What's on the flag behind it? There's a cross on the flag in the middle of Parramatta saying celebrate Easter. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm pretty cynical when it comes to what I think councils will do in this day and age. And I get the Easter bunny, but I was blown away by the cross. See, here's the thing. There is no holiday today without the cross. You don't have a holiday for a believed bunny. You really don't. Easter is fundamentally and centrally about the cross. And and we even eat it, don't we? I mean, (laughs) they're not hot bunny buns, they're hot cross buns. And and why a cross? It's the absolute centre of Christianity. And it's, it's amazing when we think about the cross. It's the inescapable part of Easter. But, but I, I want to give you a, a couple of different perspectives on the cross. For, for the Christians, the early Christians, the cross was awkward. See, what if you worship Zeus, the God over all the gods, and you go, yeah, let me tell you about my God. And they go, yeah, right. Is he on Mount Olympus? No, he grew up in Palestine. Palestine? Were we... Where's that? Just left of Tasmania. It's a backwater, right? Nothing happens there. Nothing good happens there. Right, okay, well, what glorious things did he do? Well, he did some miracles. Yeah, 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 but, but what happened after that? He died. All right, did he die peacefully, surrounded by his friends? No, he was crucified. All right, had it by the Romans. The Romans crucified the one that you call God wasn't a very successful God, was he? It was awkward for the Christians to proclaim Jesus in humiliation and degradation, dying on a cross. It was awkward. For Muslims, I read, the cross is impossible. God would not let a prophet be crucified. And there's a variety of answers to how it is that Jesus wasn't crucified. It's too disgraceful for a good prophet to die this way. For the Greeks, it was ridiculous. Paul says, I preach Christ crucified, who is foolishness to Gentiles. They look at it and they go, this is utter ridiculousness. In fact, there's graffiti, which I shared, uh, I think it was last Easter. On the wall in Rome, it's got a man crucified with a donkey's head. And it says, Alexa Menos worships his God, a donkey on a cross. The Greeks ridiculed it. For the Romans, it was historical. Tacitus says that Jesus received the supreme penalty under Nero. What was the supreme penalty? The Romans nailed the rebel. Crucifixion was only allowed in the worst cases. For the Romans, it was just an historical fact. We killed some rebellious Jew. And you can find it in their history. Whatever way you look at it, there is no Christianity without the cross. It is utterly unavoidable. If we're going to understand Easter, we have to come to the cross. So why do Christians own the cross today? Well, part of it is because we've polished it up and, and there's nothing wrong with wearing a cross. But 
It doesn't give you the supreme penalty look very often, does it? We've domesticated it in some sense, but I want to give you a better reason why Christians own the cross. And in order to do that, we're going to have to look at what the Bible says today. If we're going to find the freedom that our opening video spoke about, freedom from a cage, we have to look at what the cross has done. Now, I, I, like, uh, I like watching Netflix, and um, I've been watching The Crown. Has anyone been watching The Crown? Okay, very good. We'll share that together. Everyone else should get into The Crown. It's pretty amazing. So it's about, um, it's about the Queen, wonderfully, and, uh, and there's this bit where we're up to at the moment where there's a growing independence movement in the Commonwealth, okay, where countries are thinking, we don't really want to be British anymore. We'd like to kind of put the monarch to one side and we'd like to do our own thing. Independence, that's pretty good, isn't it? We should celebrate and have a party. Independence. And I think in order to understand the cross, we have to get an understanding of sin. For most of us, sin is kind of an icky thing they say in church, but not really a big deal in my life. And maybe we think of sin like it's a little bit of an independence movement. God... Hello, I see you there, but I don't really need you. I'm just kind of going to put you out to pastor a little bit and uh, we're going to have a little bit of an independence movement. It's pretty harmless. You'll like it. But what happens when people start to have an independence movement? I I tell you where it starts to get a little bit icky and very practical. When I go out riding my bike here in Oran Park and I'm out at 5.30 in the morning, there's an intersection down here and it has a set of traffic lights on it. And at 5.30 in the morning, I see some people exercising their independence. (laughs) Yeah. Red lights, who are they for? Not for me. I'm going to exercise my independence and just go sailing straight through that sucker. Because, man, my life's more important than anyone else around. And I'm going to just take my life in my own hands and act independently of whatever that traffic light is trying to tell me. Now, I've got to tell you guys, a lot of the things that we do that are sin are acting independently. And we we do it because of convenience. We do it because of self. We do it because we kind of figure it's not a big deal and no one's really watching. But just like running a red light, there are deadly consequences. Deadly consequences. Hurt and carnage that come from our selfishness. And that has much more to do with what the Bible has to say about sin. Have a listen to this passage in Romans chapter 8 and verses 7 to 8. It says this, it says that the mind governed by the flesh, that's our body, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. What it's saying is, we've had a little insurrection. We've said, God, I don't need you, and we're running our own way. And as sinners, it's saying here, we can't submit to God's law, and we won't be able to please God. Now, if you can recognize a little bit of the red light moment in your life, you'll start to see that that's a big deal. It's really important that we understand sin is not being independent, but rebellious. And not acknowledging is actually deposing the king. So you might say, look, it's okay. I'm not really one of those angry people in life, okay? 
I just don't, I haven't got much time for God, although well done for being here today, great work. But generally, I haven't got much time for God. And we'd think, it's okay, God, I'm just not acknowledging you. But I would say to you, anytime you're not acknowledging the crown, you're, dis- you're deposing it. You're getting rid of it. I have no need for you. I'm acting independently as a rebel. You see, when did the people in the story say, Hail, King of the Jews? Hail, King of the Jews. What were they doing at that point in time? They were beating him, spitting on him and mocking him. They could have fallen before him and honoured him as Lord of all. Two weeks prior, a day prior, now they were falling on their knees and mocking him and using the very words of his actual title to show their true colours. That's sin. And I... I want to ask you, do you see yourself as a king-killing rebel? That couldn't be stronger, could it? And I want want to tell you, it's not nice. There's no tame sin. And while you're not submitting to the king, you are plotting an insurrection. So that's a problem. I'll tell you why it's a problem. Did, Did anyone see this the other day? Good gracious me, if you've been living on another planet, some boys who play a game did the wrong thing and cheated. And um, it happens they get paid a lot of money for playing the game and they're ambassadors for our country. And so when the boys playing the game who get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it, cheat, kind of dishonours our country. And so the sentence was, what's the sentence for Uncle Steve and co? One year, not being able to represent the country. It's going to cost them, I saw a figure in the, in, the, in the paper saying it cost them up to $5 million worth of endorsements. There was a crime and there was a sentence. There's another crime I read in the paper a little while ago. And uh, it's about this guy here, Sergei Skripal. Anyone heard of him? Okay, this guy is in England and he's a uh, Russian and he'd been a double agent spy, and so he'd flipped on Russia and been providing information to the enemy. Now, you would call him naturally, if you're a Russian, a traitor. Now, we don't really do... Steve Smith is about as close as we get to being traitorous, I think, to the idea of being Australian. We just don't take things very seriously here. But if you're serious about your authority, and you have people who are traitorous, what's the penalty for being a traitor? It's death. And so what happened was, despicably, some people poisoned him and his daughter, hoping to kill them. The sentence that had been laid out for their transgression was death. Have a listen to it in the Bible. For everyone belongs to me, says God in Ezekiel 18, the parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. See, sin's sentence in the Bible is death. It's not a pat on the head. It's not a pat on the backside. It's not a please do better next time. God sees us as traitors to his crown. And he says the punishment is death. You must know that Jesus never sinned. 
He was always obedient to his father. He had no record of rebellion from his birth all the way through to his unrequired death. Jesus, speaking to those who nailed him to the cross. Now, I've got to show you this. D- Doug made this for me, and uh, it's a brutal, brutal object. That, that, here, into there, for you and for me. That's the sentence. The sentence is death, and who's taking it? Jesus. And as he dies, in a way he's not required to do, he was sinless, dying for the sinners. Speaks these incredible words from the cross that we heard earlier. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Your sin and my sin, even if we don't know we've done it, deserves this incredible payment, an incredible sentence of death. And I want to ask you, do you think God's just? Is God just in doing that? Is it right that Jesus should die for me? And the answer to that overwhelmingly is no. If you can permit me a little sidetrack. Some people want a calmer universe, not a calmer universe, although everyone wants that in their home. A calmer universe. So if you do good, good will come to you. If you do bad, bad will come to you. I'm telling you, you don't want that. If we understand what is coming our way, we want a grace-filled universe. We want to get what we don't deserve. Yes? Jesus got what he did not deserve because he loves you. I want to tell you a story about a guy called Elijah Arons. He's in year 11. And... uh, He suffers from brain damage now. His plan at the moment is to run a marathon. And I hope for his sake he can do it. You might look at him and think, a man with brain damage, that's a tragedy, and it is. But he has an extraordinary story. In 2015, he jumped out of a plane, attached to another bloke, an experienced skydiver. As they jumped out of the plane, on a perfect day, a freak gust of wind collapsed their parachute. As they fell to the ground, Antonio Rokov, who was a soldier and a jump veteran, wrapped his body around Elijah. And when they hit the ground, He took the brunt of the fall, and incredibly, this young man's life was spared. Yesterday, the Rockoff family received a bravery award for their missing dad, husband. He died in the place of another. That if nothing else, is an incredible act of substitution. And I want to show you how Jesus does this for us. In 1 Peter 3.18, we see this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you 
to God. Who's the righteous? The one who never sinned. The righteous is Jesus. Who's the unrighteous? Well, unless we're totally bonkers, I think we can vote ourselves in. Is that right? You and I will agree we do not live a sinless life. We have red light moments. We are rebels against the king, either actively or passively deposing the one who is rightly our ruler. This is beautiful, wonderful address uh, that Mary gave, speaking about the words from the cross where Jesus looked down and saw his mum and his disciple whom he loved and he said to her, here is your son, here is your mother. On the cross, as he's dying for us, Jesus loved his best friend and his mum enough to enable them to care for one another. I mean, it's stunning. But I want you to know something even more amazing was happening. The, the anger of God on sin is due to fall on us. And on the cross, Jesus says to his father, here is your son. The greatest act of substitution is Jesus in your place for your sins. It's extraordinary. Here is your son, is the offer of the son of God to his father as he bears the awesome weight of our sin. Do you see the son's love? Do you see his love? It's extraordinary. It's undeserved. It's unmatched. On the 15th of April 1945, on the battleship Missouri, this guy, General Hu Su Yung Chang, signed a declaration. Do you know what he was signing? He was signing a document to end World War II. He was a Japanese representative saying on that battleship, on that day, before the Supreme Allied Commander, he was saying, we are done. We're finished. We will fight no more. It is over. And so from Pearl Harbor... Till that day, this great arc of endeavour had come to an end. It was done. It was complete. It was finished. There was success in the war they had waged. It had come to its natural end. I want to tell you another natural end. This, this is a bit more fun than that one. Does anyone remember a show called Beyond 2000? See, I couldn't do this in the evening service. All the hip people are, right? But you guys won't have heard of that, Beyond 2000. You're like, back to 2000? Does anyone remember when it was, we were looking forward to 2000? Can you remember? Great show, right? Amazing. It ran for years and years, from 1986, all the way up until guess when? You guys are on, on board. I think it was 1999, actually, but okay. So it came to an end. Why did it come to an end? Well, it had been really successful. It had pointed us beyond 2000, and then, well, 2000 came, and you don't need it anymore. There, it, it had been a successful show, but it had come to an end. I want to tell you about the end of a war and things that have come to their end. Have a look at this. In Hebrews 10, we read these words, but when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, you're looking at it behind me here, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What did Jesus do on the cross? Something 
radical. He put an end to weary religion again and again and again and again. They'd been offering sacrifices for millennia. And Jesus, by one sacrifice, put an end to all of it. He ended weary religion and the victory was complete. The battle against Satan was won on that day. The one who's poking sticks into the birdcage. The one who's playing games, upending the lives of Christians and non-Christians alike. The victory was complete on that day when he died. And so he had those beautiful words, and I love the speculation that was in that soliloquy for us. He looked at every item of furniture that he'd made, and he said, it's finished. How beautiful. And then on wood... With nails, Jesus declares, it is finished. How glorious. How glorious. And he wasn't ending all suffering, but religion. You see, what did Jesus finish? He had finished the temple. There was no need for it anymore. When the temple was destroyed in AD 70, they never built another one. No need. He destroyed the priesthood. No need for priests. Who do we go to now? You can tell me. We go to Jesus. Access is open. We don't need a building. We don't need fires. We don't need sacrifices. By one sacrifice, Jesus has taken away all of that. Temple gone. Priesthood gone. Sacrifice gone. Why? Because in Jesus, we see our forgiveness finalized. Do you see your forgiveness finalized in Jesus? The whole religious palaver is done by his death. Well, what about those who met Jesus? What about those who met Jesus when he was walking this earth? I think it's actually quite striking to think about this. See, Peter met Jesus, but just before he was made right, he experienced his deepest failure. What about John? John loved Jesus but he experienced his deepest shame. Mary loved Jesus and she experienced her deepest grief before she found the incredible freedom that he offers. So I want to say to you today, Jesus isn't ready to be added into your life with no cost. He's not an easy addition. There has to be a change on the throne of your heart. And it'll cost you, but it'll be glorious. What will it take to see Jesus as Savior? I want to say something to men, something to women, and then something to us all. Blokes, tell you why this is hard. I'm going to ask you today to give your life to Jesus. Tell you why it's hard. Because you need to hop onto the battleship and you need to write out a document of surrender. You need to say, I am not in charge of my life. I'm handing it to the worthy king who died for me. And blokes, I'm telling you, I reckon that's hard. Sign the document. Women, I'm not one, but here's a speculation. I suspect it's tough for you to believe that someone can love you as you are enough to die for you. You are worthy. He loves you enough if you'll let him. And to everyone assembled here today, I want to say, do you want to get rid of your sin? 
Do you want to not meet your maker burdened down by your history of rebelliousness? It's a pretty good offer. It's been done. What remains is for you to apply it to you. Let me tell you how we're going to do that. We're going to say three words. Well, we're going to say a few more, but three big headings. We're going to say thank you. Now, I don't know if you've heard me today, but if you've heard me, it may be that you want to say thank you to God for sending Jesus to die on the cross. Would that make sense today? I think it would. And then we want, to, we want to take that moment of self-reflection and we want to say, I'm sorry for my sins. I know that I've hurt you and others, God, and I won't speak for you, but that is true for me. I'm sorry for my sin. And thirdly, we want to do that act of surrender and install the new king. Please forgive me and come into my life as king. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a moment with me to pray that prayer. Now, when we do these things, you can feel all sorts of wonder or concern. If you want to pray this quietly in your heart, no problems. If you want to say it out loud with me, no problems. If you've said this before and you want to say it again because today is a great day to say Jesus is my king, do it. And I'd say to everyone here who's never done it, today is a great day to get saved. Today is a great day to get saved. Don't put it off. You've seen the sentence. You know the sacrifice and the substitution. Do it today. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray these words and I'm going to leave a space. And if you intend to make today that day, I would like you to pray in that space, repeating those words after me. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross. I am sorry for my sins. I know that I've hurt you and others. Please forgive me. Please come into my life as king. Amen. I love Easter. It's really great. If you made that decision to pray today, I'm delighted for you. If you've done it again, great. Keep walking in it. What can we do? I want to give you some practical things to do. Number one, if you're here today, come back. It's pretty good. Like, it's good, isn't it? It's good. We read the Bible, find out about who God really is, not just what we think he is in our heads. It's good. Come back. Join us. We're around. You have a look at the card. You'll find out we're going to change when we do that. But come back. We'd love to see you again. Uh, there's a card on your seat uh, like this. I'd love you to get it out, if you can get that out. While you get that out, because I want everyone to do it, I'm going to see what's happening with the air conditioner and hit it again. Is that all right? It made a noise. We'll see if it makes some cool air. How's that sound? All right, so there's a card here. What I'd love you to do, on it, you can let us know today. You can put your name on it and say, I prayed today to receive Jesus as my king. And if you did that, guess what? I'm so excited. I'd love to know. Let me know. That'd be great. Uh, there's another thing coming up uh, that we call Jesus for the Curious. I've got a little flyer like this at the back of the church. It looks like this. Here's what it is. It's for people who are curious about Jesus. You see what it's called? Jesus for the Radical name, isn't it? So what I want you to do, I want to say to you, you could come and join me starting April 10th for four weeks, read the Bible, ask your questions, doubts welcome. 
I got this close today, but I wasn't quite ready. No problems. Come along. Let's talk it out over four Tuesday nights starting April 10th. You could tick and say, I want to do that. Or fourthly, I suspect some of you are Christians already. Is that right? Some of you are Christians already? Oh, that's good. Hey, you know what? It's pretty good news, isn't it? I reckon it's pretty good. I don't find this anywhere else. So here's what I want to say to you guys. Don't keep it to yourself. What happened on Friday? Oh, I had a barbie with family. Yes, you did. What did you do before that? Went to church. Heard that you can get your sins forgiven. Now, is that hard? It's almost impossible. I get it. But don't keep it to yourself. Even if it gets to be, hey, look, I can't tell you what happened, but it's secret business. Come along on Sunday and check it out. We'll hear some more. Communicate. Say something to someone about the glorious news that you heard today. Does that sound all right? Oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'll be right. All right. When we look at this, it tells me something about you. When you look at this, what do you see? Do you know this one? Have you seen this before? What do you see? Have a look at this. Do you see Jesus? Still shaking your heads. Can you see Jesus? I hope you've seen Jesus today. If you're still shaking your heads, don't worry. This is just a thing. I hope Jesus has revealed himself to you because he's real. Right? Okay, that's good. All right, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's where I want to finish. Jesus is. Who's Jesus? All the way out, Who's Jesus? We heard from each of our speakers. Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? Who's Jesus? I want to tell you today, Jesus is a friend to sinners. You are one. You want him to be your friend. Today's a great day because he's your friend. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of Easter. Thank you for the glorious news that our sin is paid for utterly unworthily by the righteousness of your Son in our unrighteous place. Heavenly Father, I pray that we be filled up with this joy, take it into the world and live for you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Of course they did. Jesus, what do you say? All right, we're going to uh, finish up because you've done your cards, haven't you? Uh, If you're new with us today and you'd like to let us know your details, please put them on the card. There's actually a little um, box, a letterbox at the back there. Uh, right next to where the Bibles are. You can drop it in there at the end of the service uh, when you go and get your kids. That'd be great. And if you're new today and you want to talk to a nice person, they're clearly identified for you with a green badge and we'd love to connect with you. We're going to finish our service today with a song that takes us back to Jerusalem and adds some of the good news. And uh, I don't know if you know, but Sunday's coming. Come back again. It'll be great. Peter. Daylight Saving Sunday. You're a good man, Peter. Turn up when it's right and appropriate with the moving of things. Great. See you then.